0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Weir, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I've been wanting to talk to Chris Herring of Five Thirty Eight for a while now. This has been a, a really interesting season, and he's written some great pieces so far already on the Sixers and the Bucks and and numerous other topics. So we started really with those two areas, but then we ended up in a lot of interesting and different directions, including the teams that haunt us and kind of where we see this going a little bit more in the long term. So lots of different directions. This episode is brought to you by three awesome sponsors, a new one, Action Heat, Heated clothing, it's pretty fantastic. I've been trying it out for the last couple of weeks. Action-Heat.com slash RealGM gets you 15% off. MyBookie.ag, if you go there and use the promo code RealGM, you can get a deposit bonus on your first deposit, which is pretty fantastic. And then our friends at DraftKings. DraftKings.com, then use the promo code RealGM to get entered in some big money contests. It's fantastic. Great way to stay engaged in this, and especially if there's a night that you want to add a little sizzle, it's a great way to do it. So the podcast with Chris, it was funny, we were going to go on the shorter end, and then we talked for an hour and a half. So it's a legit hour and a half on a lot of different topics, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on.
0: No problem at all, man. It's good to talk with you. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Everything's good. Good. A fun season. Like I feel like I've been kind of everywhere with my editor so far. I probably have no clue what I'm doing or what I'm thinking about, but it's been hard to really pinpoint one or two teams or even one or two players to really focus on because there's just been so much happening. I, I, I get the sense that at a certain point it'll all be for naught because the Warriors will probably win this whole thing, but the season's just been really interesting so far with a lot of different storylines and a lot going on.
1: Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it because there's been something worth keeping an eye on on just about every team so you go around and there's a a random game that's on there's something there. And I mean, especially, you know, even with some of the teams in the lottery, I mean, I think we have an idea right now of where the bottom teams are going to be. And then who knows if they play the Cavs or the Wizards, they can absolutely win. So you have a lot there. And a team you wrote about recently that I just saw, we're recording this on Sunday that I just saw last night is the Sixers. And a point that I, I thought was, it was a place to kind of begin this with your piece was just a reminder of how bad they were before this season.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was all on purpose, I think, after that that really horrid season they had, Doug Collins, the coach and Andrew Bynum, you know, the the big signing that they'd made to get Andrew Bynum, or I guess trade if you want to call it that. But they were bad on purpose after that season. They they were trying to lose. But even for a team that was trying to lose, they kinda of took it to new levels and new heights, new depths, whatever you want to call it. And, I mean, they did a really good job at being horrible. Trust the process, I guess, at the beginning of that process was really painful for a lot of people. And I think it kind of split the fan base to a certain extent. You had people that were a little bit older that didn't understand why they weren't trying to do more to win. And left the, you remember, leaving the salary cap as low as they possibly could and actually being beneath the floor for good portions of the seasons there. But, you know it it was working toward a purpose obviously they were getting guys that uh, were banged up and that would get injured but now that you've seen two of those guys be healthy and of course you can't have all three with folks there as well but Embiid and Simmons are just incredible and I mean Embiid you watch him and he kind of looks like he's laboring up and down the court he's still not really in terrific basketball shape yet he hasn't really played a whole lot uh, in the last few months given the injuries and them really being patient with him but I mean he still is such a huge difference maker for them I I wrote the piece and I saw people underneath my tweet kind of laying out the piece one person saying that the Sixers would be so much better without Embiid and people were just laying into the guy like what are you watching and he was going off of one literally one game the game they just lost against the King where Embiid I think shot seven for 20 and turned the ball over a bunch but I mean, he's still working his way into shape. And even with that in mind, their on-off numbers are insane, uh, you know, with Embiid and without him. They're basically the the same old Sixers, not quite as bad, but still, you know, the Sixers of old without Embiid on the court. And with him on the court, they're, they're basically like a top five or top six team in the league, top 10 on both sides of the ball. And so he's their biggest difference maker offensively, defensively. But adding Simmons into the mix with him gives them two real weapons. You factor in Covington, who's been great this season so far, even better than he's been the last few years, and another shooter in J.J. Redick. And it's just a team that I don't think you'd want to play them. I mean, they they actually have more talent, I think, than a lot of teams in the league do right now and they're starting five. It's not going to translate in the 50-55 wins right now, but they've got that sort of talent to where a year, two years from now, if guys stay healthy, that's not an unrealistic goal. And all of that is without Fulk still. We still don't even know what he's going to give them, but they've got real talent on this team, and I don't think it's going to be terribly long until we start seeing them win regularly.
1: Right. I think talent is, is the operative word here. And with this team, but with those two players of, of Embiid and Simmons, you can see the, the beginnings of something. So with Embiid, as you brought up, they've been so impressive defensively when he's been on the floor. And this is one of my favorite stats like this so far. So we're through 12 games, though Embiid has only played in 10. When Covington and Joel Embiid have been on the floor together, and I would argue, and I think you would too, that those are their two best defenders. Covington and Embiid, defensive rating of 93-3, which is appalling. Like, that's incredible. (laughs) Covington without Embiid? defensive rating of 109.8 wow so like yeah, yeah. Co- covington is a very good defender i think and of course we're dealing with small sample size theater here it's not only is it only 12 games but it's samples of those 12 games i mean because neither of those guys plays a full 48 and certainly not in Embiid's case but what you see there is you see okay Embiid's presence alone is clo- even with his with his injury stuff and his limitations is enough to ha- give them a pretty solid defense and what i think we're seeing with simmons over time is that the beginnings of well he can help be a key part of a of a successful offense by himself he's not going to do it alone it's really hard offensively you have to be in that rarefied air to do it but right simmons has a lot of the pieces that you look for his vision his and the thing that i've liked the most is the way he The way he pushes the ball in transition he plays with a lot of intention and intention is incredibly important especially when you're a bigger guy handling the ball nate has made the comparison with draymond green who does the same thing whereas some of the other big guys who dribble the ball up they're kind of you know they're taking their time they're showing they can do it and things like that but simmons partially because he's way more athletic than most guys his size and partially because he's a way better dribbler and passer, he's doing that because it's the best way for them to get the ball from A to B unless they have a guy open for an outlet pass. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's, it's actually really interesting when you kind of talk about intention and the idea that guys with size play with intention. Because I've watched, you know, sometimes when you see someone coming out of college, you're kind of immediately convinced that, the, you know, there's no reason they can't be a good NBA player. I remember thinking that about Shane Larkin. I remember thinking about, about Trey Burke. And, you know, you look at a guy the Sixers had who was not, you know, a lottery type player at all uh, and T.J. McConnell. These are all really, really good college players and point guards. But McConnell, like one thing I always kind of noticed about him, and the more I think about it, it's kind of true of Burke and, and Larkin as well, is that they play very fast. They are trying to push the ball, but they can't really commit to doing anything with it when they're in transition Because they're not totally convinced that they can get the shot up without getting it blocked or that they can get the pass through without getting it deflected. And I remember I used to complain about that all the time with Shane Larkin when I watched him on the Knicks. And the more I think about it, you see a lot of it with C.J. McConnell. Watch a game with them trying to really direct their offense. He comes in for the second strength with them. And he tries to find a ton of lanes and will kind of dart one way or the other with the ball, but doesn't end up actually penetrating because he's not convinced that he could get there without getting cut off. And some of that is speed and, and just, you know, athleticism that he doesn't have that Simmons does but then also tack on an extra seven or eight inches of height. And that's your big difference there is that a guy like that, he's going to force you to make a decision every time you either have to try to help off of the guy you're defending to cut him off because most people can't guard someone like Giannis or Ben Simmons by themselves Or, you know, you're going to end up kind of having to leave him one-on-one with someone else, and that's a a nightmare of a matchup too. Uh, Ben Simmons gets in the lane, he will dunk on you. The only thing that those two guys can't do, and this is, you know, well documented at this point, is that they're not going to really drill jump shots in your face from 18 to 20 feet. To the best of my knowledge, I I don't think uh, that Ben Simmons, to this point, he's even taken a shot from 20 feet and out that wasn't a heave at the end of a quarter. So he's still got that part that he could add to his game, but he's still young. I mean, the biggest thing for him is figuring out what hand he wants to shoot with. Uh, He's still figuring that part out. But that guy is incredibly lethal, and his vision, I mean, I – I put him in that kind of rarefied list with uh, LeBron and James Harden. He's not quite to that level yet, but in terms of how far away he can see guys and spot guys uh, without really, you know, anyone else on the court, noticing that person in a corner, or in the perimeter when he's caught underneath the basket. He's just got incredible vision that you really can't teach.
1: The vision is important, and the other element that he has shown early, which I credit Giannis a lot for developing as well, is when you are defending a player who has the ball in his hands, and this is a massive difference between when he's on and off ball, you have to choose how much space you're going to give that guy. And a lot of times with a player who's a bad shooter, especially in pull-up situations, the idea is to give them more space because you don't need to be up on them. And that and that's a good decision most of the time. However, what both of those guys do, Giannis has developed this and Simmons seems like he already has it, is they attack that space because they have other physical advantages. As you said, they can dunk on guys and, and you have to you have to approach it differently. And that's why you want the ball in their hands, because you have to defend them differently. You have to be aggressive on it. And using that space forces opponents into much less palatable decisions than if they kind of seeded off that and were taking those runners and those floaters. Simmons had a little bit of trouble with that in the game against the Warriors, partially because the shots they were giving him were worse, but still shots he was willing to take. But that's how you take advantage of those situations, and that's how you create value. I mean, we can even look back to LeBron before he became a jump shooter. It was the same basic idea. It's just well, you can't give those guys the space because they'll kill you with that instead. Yeah, you know, and that,
0: that's actually the thing that I, I found myself thinking about the other day is just how similar some of these really elite players are. Most elite players don't come into the league as fantastic shooters right away, at least not these forwards. I mean, because, you know, there there needs to be something that they're weak at it that they need to work on. And normally, because they're so strong and they're so big and they're so much taller than everybody, just like with free throws, they haven't really absolutely had to work at their jump shot. That wasn't the first thing they really needed to work on. A lot of them, you know, it's ball handling as they get taller, it's coordination. And so the jump shot kind of tends to be one of the later things to come. And. We've seen that with Giannis. We've seen it with Ben Simmons. If you look back at LeBron, I think there were stats to show that he was the worst jump shooter in the league from outside of 16 feet for the first year or so that he was in the league. But obviously, you could still tell then that there were the makings of something really special, that he could be one of the best players in the league. And I think that's what we're seeing with Simmons. Even last night against the Warriors, watching Simmons, you know, the defense is something that he's going to have to work on. Like we said, when Embiid is off the floor, they they don't take a huge, huge nosedive offensively when Embiid is off the floor. Uh, Simmons still does a pretty good job there. They've obviously got more shooters than they've had in the past, and that helps too. But they, they do fall off quite a bit defensively, and, and Simmons... Despite the fact he's 6'10", he's not really a rim protector yet. But I I think I saw a number the other day that he leads the league in deflections among rookies. I know he had a couple plays last night where he kind of got his hands on the ball and was able to kind of get a steal going the other way for a dunk. And like you said, you don't want to have to square up against him in transition. He's just, he, I mean, he's not Giannis with his strides, but he's still 6'10". He's still got an incredible handle. I mean, I feel like the best thing you have going for you at this point as a defender is the fact that he is still a little bit iffy about which hand he wants to use. But I mean, he, he's he's going to reach a point where there's really no way to defend him either. And one thing that I found interesting is I kind of was watching more film of him with Embiid and kind of their chemistry together was the idea teams have kind of gotten really comfortable assuming that if Embiid is coming down the floor at about the same tempo that everybody else is, that, you know, they will kind of initiate their offense by throwing it to Embiid at the top of the key and then have Simmons come back up or come along with Embiid at the same time. And the defender, you know, one game I saw in Houston, it was Trevor Ariza, kind of assumes that Simmons is coming up to get the ball. And then he kind of makes this really quick eye contact with Embiid and just goes backdoor as everybody thinks he's coming up and he's actually going down for a backdoor. And so it just really creative stuff. In another play I remember I was watching, one against Dallas. I feel like Dirk's had a really rough couple of plays uh, the last few weeks defensively. Not that he's ever been a great defender, but play where basically Simmons was posting up. And called for Embiid to come set a screen near the block for him. And you see just this real split second where Embiid kind of looks at him and immediately knows, okay, I'm going to jaunt to my left to make it look like I'm screening for you, but actually going to keep going toward the basket. As soon as Dirk makes one false step, I'm going to go back door and there's a dunk, and so a lob there. And so there's just, you know, they they haven't even played together very long. And, you know, Embiid's minutes have been very limited for someone of his skill, but you just kind of see the makings of something really special there. There's just two, three stars there right now, or two or three, two stars, and you know I think Covington, as his profile continues to rise, I think more people are going to realize he could potentially be someone that we're talking about too. Just a really valuable glue sort of player that normally you talk about glue guys, they don't have the talent level that he does. He's One of the better shooters in the league when you leave him open. He's a very, very good defender. Uh, Struggled a little bit against Durant, but who doesn't? Um, And then you've got another really, really solid player in Reddick, who's just going to knock down shots, but does wonders for their spacing, especially after those years where they really didn't have many shooters up in Covington.
1: That also has this big factor moving forward because depending on how Colangelo sees it, and I assume he sees it similarly to how we both do, is that it allows you to concentrate your resources a little bit. So the Sixers have... Probably a little less than max space, especially if the Covington renegotiation extension comes in that will likely happen during this coming week mark stein's report about the possibility i've talked about it wrote about it for the sporting news and covington is a very specific type of of talented player what that is is a player who is good in in the team concept but needs other players above him and in certain circumstances that can be a negative because you have to have those players and covington is going to be expensive at some point he is you know even though he has basically made the minimum for the last four years which is incredible and that's a challenge for, for things. But the Sixers, partially due to the process and partially due to just drafting really talented dudes, they have those guys at this point, it looks like. So, yes, of course, if Embiid has health problems, then that changes this calculus a little bit. But something else that I really like about Covington is he can defend—he's not—he's more of a team defender to me than a man-to-man guy. He's not the— Avery Bradley or, you know, Patrick, whoever, where you just put him on a guy and that guy's gone. Kawhi is another example of this. He's better in the team concept, but that works well with Simmons because Simmons is better in the team concept than I expected him to be originally. So what you have with those two guys is you go, okay... Well, Simmons is probably going to be guarded by the other team's better defender, so Covington's probably going to have a weaker defender on him, so just run him around a little bit and do that, and then Covington can get the more challenging assignment and maybe do some freelance stuff, and like you look at those three guys and you go, all you need to do is find the right two pieces to fit around them. I'm sure they're hoping Markel Fultz is one of those two. We're going to have to see. Looks like we're going to be waiting for a while, but they have this near-max space They have their own pick this year. We don't know how good or bad that's going to be, but they also have a likely lottery pick coming this year, next year from either the Lakers or the Kings, depending on which way that goes. And so they can devote those resources and they have all these other young guys too, like TLC and Justin Anderson to, to try to try this out is, okay, we're trying to find the other two guys. And what you need is actually a lot more manageable. You need low usage, high efficiency, reasonably intelligent players. Like, I think that's really what you're looking for. And that's a lot easier to find at the guard positions than people who can run the show and score a bunch of points with the ball in their hands. It's it's a, it's an archetype that's a lot easier to find though. It is still going to be expensive if you're trying to get on the free agent market.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of, it's not just finding two really good players and they obviously have that, uh, two guys that could potentially be superstars and at 23 or younger and i mentioned that in my story how rare that is that, that guys with this sort of bpm uh box plus minus and bead and and simmons so far basically the last 20 30 years you've only got a handful of teams ever kind of put this sort of production out there among them with guys this age penny and shack uh you look at Harden and and Durant in Oklahoma City, those are two of the only ones we've even seen in the last 20, 30 years under the age of 23 for both of them to be under 23. And so one of the biggest triumphs here is the fact that they're, they fit each other really well. The synergy is good because one is essentially a point forward who's going to handle the ball for you. The other is a big who, you know, obviously from a traditional standpoint can post up is easily one of the two or three best rim protectors in the league uh, when he's healthy and, and can shoot from outside. I mean, I don't necessarily know that's where you want him all the time, but he's not a liability in the sense that he can't move away from the post and still feel comfortable. Uh, he's comfortable taking shots out there. And so, That's kind of the beauty of this is that, like you said, you have really the two hardest parts to find you already have. Filling in the blanks is a lot easier than having to figure out how are we going to land this star? And I kind of feel like you've had teams like that in the past where they actually have decent guys that can make decent role players. I feel like that's one of the big problems that Orlando has had for a long time in trying to figure stuff out for them. 48 is a a decent piece of net. You know, you look at a team like Charlotte even before Kemba really Got to where he is. Uh, you know, Kid Gilchrist and a lot of guys like this are, are nice pieces and are great pieces to draft, but if they're your main players, that's not good enough. And so, Philly has kind of, in some ways, done the reverse, you know, in part because they've been at the top of the draft with all these horrible teams. They've got the hard part figured out. Covington is a part of that calculus, but like you said, it gets a little tougher when you have to pay him real money, and that's coming very soon, maybe within the next couple of days. But you know the other stuff is is to kind of be decided and how quickly do they kind of make a run to really go for this right now do they go all in on a max guy now if if they can get that and do they find someone that's willing to to agree to terms on that that really fits this team what do they get from Fultz before that and you know depending on what they see from him do they decide to you know who who is that kind of perfect player for them depending on whether Fultz is is the guy that is going to fill in that role for them so there are a lot of questions to be answered some of them I I don't even think you can totally get to. We haven't even talked about Dario Saric who I mean really when you think about it we could be talking about a team that really does have three legitimate 35 to 40% three point shooters where basically everybody can shoot but Simmons. I mean it's it's a scary team. They need like you said they need to develop more on their bench a little bit. They're not deep yet at this point, but I mean this is the, the process could very well end up being worth it. And I mean to see the the outskirts of what this should look like or could look like is very fun. I thought the first half against the Warriors was very fun. You could tell they weren't going to necessarily win that game through one half because the Warriors had made so many mistakes and weren't shooting particularly well. But it's it's been very fun to watch them this year, and I, I'm i happy for Philly fans to kind of stuff this out.
1: Going to take a quick break to tell you about a brand new sponsor of Real Jam Radio and a product that I'm thrilled to know exists, Action Heat. And Action Heat is the world's best heated clothing. And it's remarkable. It's it's clothing that is heated and powered by rechargeable batteries. So the way that it works is you have these low-voltage lithium-ion batteries that last up to 12 hours on each charge, and it heats... Heating panels kind of like a heated car seat and it can reach temperatures up to 135 degrees and what i've tried out is the base layer and then the socks and they have a much wider variety of options But that's what I got to try out and I was really impressed with it I mean i'm fortunate enough if you want to call it that that I, I don't live in a particularly cold weather It doesn't snow where I live, but it does get cold for us and it's perfect for me I used it to walk my dog, you know We've had a couple of colder mornings as we're getting into november And it's a really cool thing. It's something I didn't know existed. And I've been really impressed with the quality of the product. And also for those of you who are, who are trying to do other things, you know, if you want to have it on, you can power other devices using the battery that they do at the same time. So you could charge your phone or whatever, whatever you're working on, whether you're doing that. And so it's actually another benefit in that way. Very comfortable. I really like the feel of it and it has the the base layer in particular, it has different settings that I really liked. So if you were, you know, if you at the very beginning, you can have it on a higher setting. So, of course, that uses more of the battery. Or you can go to a lower power setting, which is a lower temperature, but you can sustain it for a lot longer. And it's a really fascinating product. It's something that it's hard to explain, but... The best thing you can do is you can try it out for yourself. So the way that you can check that out is you go to action dash heat.com slash real gm. This is a URL and you can get fifteen percent off your entire order. Again, that is action dash heat slash real gm. And fifteen percent off, it's a lot of fascinating stuff. You can find something that works for you. They have vests, they have base layers, they have jackets, they have pants, they have whatever works for you, whatever you're looking for, whatever part of your body we all generally have have something that it gets cold for us i have really bad circulation in my feet for some reason so it's perfect for that and i'm, I'm really happy they sent me socks for that exact reason so again action-heat.com so that's that's a dash not d-a-s-h that's a dash dot com slash real gm 15 off and you support the show they also i think brett brown has shown inclinations of knowing how to get this unusual thing right. That's something I've been very critical of Alvin Gentry last year, though I think they've done a better job this year of when you have unusual pieces that are really good. You can get to a certain threshold, but in order to maximize them, you need some creativity. You need to think about things differently because especially in the Sixers case, they have unusual strengths and unusual weaknesses. Like you have having a 6 foot 9 guy who can run your offense is great, but he has these limitations shooting and he, and you get into some of the stuff and then how do you build the rest of your roster? So you have challenges from a general manager perspective and then you have challenges from a coaching perspective. And so one of the key questions I ask with these teams and this goes back to covering Mark Jackson with the Warriors. Is the person who is in charge of tactics adept at figuring out how to use these guys and that's why I was actually the first person that I can recall beating the drum publicly to to get him fired because you could tell he wanted to do his thing and it didn't make sense with their personnel and then that is a so like for me that's the parallel with Jason Kidd who I think Jason Kidd has certain approaches that he wants to do and he deserves immense credit for helping make Giannis the player he is now but I'm getting more and more accustomed to the idea that maybe they need somebody else to take this version of Giannis and maximize it
0: yeah that that's always a tough question is you can actually credit somebody a lot and, and still see that it doesn't go quite far enough or that once you develop some level of success with a certain game plan, that you get too married to it and too wedded to it. And I think a lot of us are seeing as great as Giannis is that he's been fantastic. He's been the best player in the league so far, just on a game-to-game basis. That there's no way that they could realistically win big like this, at least not right now that you need somebody else. I mean, I one thing that really still sticks out in my mind is last year's playoffs. There was a game he had a great playoff game, but he was so good that they couldn't take him off the floor. And we all know that Giannis is not a great shooter. He's not even a, a great free-throw shooter yet. And he missed both shots at the line one time, and he was dogged. I remember thinking... I've very rarely seen someone look that tired on a court, a guard specifically, who played through a whole season, but he, I think he played 47 minutes that night, maybe, or maybe 46, and I also remember whoever the announcer was, I can't remember if it's Chris Weber or someone else, basically saying, you've got to want it here, like, you you know, the great ones don't come off the court, it might have been Mark Jackson, because that sounds like something he would say, but I just remember thinking, like, man, he can't do this by himself, and obviously, Jabari Parker got hurt, and so he wasn't there, but you need somebody else. Now they have that, but I'm wondering are they gonna make great use of someone that takes the ball out of Giannis's hands and how do you maximize that? And there are ways to do that. I mean I saw some elements of it. I saw some really nice one for pick from Bledsoe and Giannis, but you've got to get those sorts of things right. And because of how Giannis developed into what he is on some level, I I, I wanna give Kid a little bit more time to figure out if he can how do we make use of that? How do we make use of this rotation now that's different with Bledsoe. But you really want to see it handled correctly because that is the sort of thing that now, maybe not this year, but starting next year, I think in particular, that's the sort of thing where you look at a Mark Jackson, a Steve Kerr difference and say, how do we take this good team and make it into a great team? And you really do have to have kind of the right ingredients for that. I'm not sure of all the answers either, but you want to make sure the kid is getting the right answers to those questions because that that really is where development matters, but only to a point because there's another sort of thing that needs to be added or taken away to really to hit the right notes and to take a team to the next
1: level. My bigger concern with Kidd and the Bucks is actually on the defensive end. I think that the offensive part of it will be, they'll have some challenges there especially but having Bledsoe is a big help because he can just do more things and having Bledsoe without losing Brogdon, which I was a big advocate for, gives them more uh, it's of, so
0: great for them. Like yeah. that,
1: That's massive for them. But defensively now they have remarkable person for a switch-heavy system, it's easier to run, and it would with, with what they do. It like with the length that they have, it it allows you to just force the opponents into worse shots. And basically, what kid is his system with the aggressiveness? It's more about kind of forcing turnovers and discomfort. But the sacrifice there is that if the pressure, you know, it's like if it builds up, but if it if it has a release, then you're going to get a good shot. And so. I think of a parallel sort of like the Clippers, even though the personnel is very different, that it's just a scheme issue. But I think that's just what kid wants to do. That's what he thinks is a good defense. And with a lot of different teams, he's right. I think he was right with the early Bucks, you know, with his early teams that that was right for them. But they ended up getting players who are too good for what he wanted to do and they should go to something a little bit more basic. And then they'll, they'll have teams take worse shots. They'll miss more of those shots, and they'll have to figure out how to rebound those shots. That that is something that will have to come later. They have those issues. But getting the talent is such an important part of this this is a, a through line with these two teams and I assume we'll talk about the Warriors soon is that's the first step you can't do really much of anything unless you're Greg Popovich without having high level talent and good you you get to that point you're ahead of the game you're ahead of probably 20 of the teams in the league and then now you have to make the hard decision and sometimes it's tough emotionally sometimes it's hard tough financially but you you owe it to yourself when you have an MVP candidate, when you have other support players that make sense to assess. And that doesn't always mean changing the coach. Sometimes assessment means you have the right person in place. But you have to do that acknowledging that your ceiling is very, very different than it was two, three years ago.
0: Yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, I mean I remember kinda of the questions about how how long would the leash be in Philly actually, you know, and the idea that this is a team that's lost. There wasn't anything there for him to win with, but after a certain point, just when, how do you take a team that has been built to lose all of a sudden, how do you handle that when all of a sudden now they're ready to win? Is it still the same guy? Can we still use this person who was good from a developmental standpoint, but now you need to take it beyond development into something new. And so that that's kind of an you know an interesting question I think any time that you go from a situation where it was okay to lose basically because everybody's so young even now I mean the star of the Bucks is a 22 year old and so the idea that all of a sudden it's it, it's somehow horrible to lose a game I mean that's to be expected when. You've got someone that young that you've built your entire team around. So, I mean, it's going to take time still, but it's not. it can't take too much longer. And especially now, we have no clue what's going to happen with LeBron a couple of months from now. We have no idea. He could go west. I, I think that would be very odd and kind of mind-boggling since the west is what it is and the east is what it is. But, I mean, assume that happens look, for a minute, I mean, there's literally no reason the Bucks shouldn't be in that conversation as one of the two or three teams that should win the East, really. And so if that's the case, I mean, you, you need to be prepared for the idea to ask yourself the hard question, is kid right for this? And, you know, at this point, you've invested real money and you're going to invest more money when Bledsoe is up and some of these other people are up contract-wise. You're going to have to invest even more money to try to answer that question as though we've got the talent here that's necessary to try to win more. Do we have everything else in place? And and like you said, maybe it's not the coach, but given that they just put a new GM in place, you've got to figure that, you know, it's going to be something if they don't crack the top three, top four of the East in the next year or two. Something's probably going to change. It's definitely not going to be Giannis, assuming he's healthy. You know, and it's, it's going to be something. It may not be kid, but it's going to be something.
1: I'll go a step further than that, because if LeBron stays in the East, it's almost definitely going to be with the Caps. There isn't another team with potential. I don't think he's going to the Sixers. There are a whole mess of issues there, even if he did. And so Cleveland is, they're still talented when they're at their best they haven't been at their best this season very much but they're an older team too you know a lot of it's and older is important to think about in terms of relationship to prime so cleveland doesn't have a lot i mean other than the guys on more on the end of their bench they don't have a lot of guys who are in their late 30s or things like that it's more that they don't have anybody that you expect to be better next year and of course they have a tough decision with isaiah coming up whatever that's going to be. And so I think that if you're the Bucks, if you're the Celtics, the Wizards to a point, though they don't have much flexibility left, you treat the East pretty similarly either way, that it's going to be open for you after this year. And even for the in the Celtics case, they've just won 12 in a row, maybe even this year. And what is exciting to me is that all those teams have a lot to figure out, and the teams that could potentially rise up over time, it's going to take them a little while. That's the other element of this, unless you get into the Sixer situation, and you can make an argument about how long that's quote-unquote taking. What, even once you get to the point where it's like, oh, we're good, it takes failing in the playoffs once or twice, unless you have those truly elite-level players— To be a real contender to make the NBA Finals. And so we might be heading into this strain where it's a couple of teams that are competing and that none of them are perfect. And so then having every advantage you can get makes a much bigger difference. It's like the idea, I've read this on Fangraphs years ago, about how the marginal value of a win changes substantially depending on where you are in the standings. And I think that's going to be true at the top end of the East, whereas we usually think about that more in terms of getting in or out of the playoffs.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, I, I can imagine right now that it's got to be kind of brutal, you know, thinking in the back of our heads and so proven otherwise, that the Cavs are the team, that LeBron will somehow get this figured out. Yeah, and I will admit it's tougher by the year to still believe that. I mean, even in light of what just happened, I mean, the, the Cavs literally just bludgeoned the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. They obviously dropped the one game. There was another game in there that was close for a while. But, I mean, they looked like they were in the process of getting ready to sweep Boston. And, obviously, stuff changed there. Kyrie is in Boston now. How does that change things And, and, and here and there? But you look at the rest of the East and it's like you've got teams that to some extent kind of just went through something similar to what we're talking about with Milwaukee. Or I'm sorry, with Philly and Covington having to pay him. The Wizards, for instance, just having to pay Otto Porter and how much money it's going to take to keep that team together all of a sudden. What is their upside there? How much more can guys there realistically improve? And so being close and we've heard kind of the the pound my chest, you know, big sort of trash talk sort of stuff that they have going on there. And even the suggestion that maybe it's gone too far recently, but you've got them there. You figure that you've got Milwaukee there now where they, you know, they should be a 50-win team going forward. If not this year, then sometime very soon. You've got the Celtics and that's, I think they're kind of the wild card here for several reasons because of the fact that they've got guys that should make them ready to win right now. They're, you know, in the midst of a big win streak right now. And they're doing that without their big free agent signing on top of that. And they've still got some picks going forward that should be helpful to them. And so, you know, they're, they're different things kind of at play there, but they're all kind of in the same spot as far as I'm concerned. Maybe the Celtics are the one team that has an argument that they could do more, but it's hard to imagine that they win anything extremely significant without Hayward at this point. I mean, watching what they've done the regular season is incredible. I, I was, you know, I, I worked for a site that I think had them protected for something like 38 or 39 nine wins after Hayward got hurt and so I mean what they're doing is remarkable so far but I still don't know that that translates to winning yet I mean obviously they have to be in that conversation with how they played but even if they do that I mean I cannot see them really competing with the Warriors at a really high level with that roster not yet and so in the future sure but outside of that then there's Cleveland and Philly however long they take so I just kind of see a lot of teams right at the same level. And it'll be really interesting to figure out who makes a move and how they go about making a move to really break out of that pack. And, you know, whether LeBron continues to make these trips to the finals, given the fact that all these teams that are going after him are literally neck and neck until someone breaks through, whether it's a young star or, in Philly's case, two young stars. But it's just a, there's a lot of gridlock right there in the East. And it's it's not really clear who breaks through that and how, if it's not Philly, and you know, two, three years from now.
1: It's fun to think about it, especially in isolation. I agree with you that those teams are close. I also think those teams are pretty far from where the Warriors are right now and even where they project to be in two or oh, yeah. three years if they stay healthy. And I think there's an importance in, in appreciating those for being different things. You know, I don't think... A season where we have a, a highly expected championship, though we all know from recent history and from distant history that an inevitable champion is not inevitable. It can change really quickly. That's the nature of this. And I know I heard it was a, a fascinating thing. I don't in the I think it was in the owners' open court. Mark Cuban talked about the idea of how many injuries away are you? And the you know so so as long as you get in the dance and you know maybe you're not the best team, but it doesn't take that much. And I think the Warriors are a little bit different than some of the teams that even that dallas went against when they beat the heat because they hadn't figured it out at that point but right the east has to figure all that out and then at the same point the teams that are going to improve externally so internally the east has a lot of stuff to do i mean the celtics getting gordon hayward back the sixers getting older the bucks figuring this out but in the west You have these teams that are already really, really good. And so it's like, you know, I'm excited to see how Houston bears out once Chris Paul gets back. And then the other one that I've been vacillating on is the Spurs, because I think Popovich deserves a lot of credit for the fact that they've been afloat considering they're missing their best player who is more important now than he has ever been just due to how their roster shook out but you also have this feeling like the way that they're doing this is by out executing and you know just the fact that they're so good at being spursy and that doesn't translate as well to the playoffs in certain ways they've become more like Without Kawhi, like a team like the Raptors, where they're doing it, but they're doing it in a way that isn't sustainable against the best of the best. And you could say, well, yeah, if they get Kawhi, they'll be fine. But that's why I don't have them figured out yet and probably won't until February. Yeah. <laughs> So
0: me, I I don't know the full list of everybody else. I think it's like me, Amin, Ramona, Mark Spears, and and maybe Kevin Pelton. There's like a group of five of us at ESPN that do the weekly power rankings ever since Mark Stein left. And from week to week, I feel like mine look totally haywire every week because, you know, I take a look at what every team's win-loss record was and kind of the quality of the wins that each team got. But, you know, week to week, I think I've had the Spurs as high as two or three, I think last week I had them as low as like 16. And this week I had them back in my top five or top six. I mean, they're, they're so hard to get a read on because you're watching a team that it, it's kind of like toy story you remember whatever toy that was that was walking around without the head one of one of sid's toys i can't remember the name of the toy or if it even had a name but just like it's kind of it's kind of a headless horseman until Kawhi gets back uh you know i never thought i'd be really super excited to watch tony parker play again but i am you know i think Dejounte murray's been actually pretty decent and a lot better than i thought he'd be in that role. I remember thinking for a while that they would actually use Patty Mills to start and wondering how that would work because I didn't really feel like he's a great starting player for that team. He's not really someone that breaks guys down off the dribble. And you think about someone like Parker and to an extent like Murray, those are guys that kind of have more in common and and they're kind of more guys that run the team. Whereas Patty Murray is kind of someone that comes off screens more and is kind of working off the ball more and thrives off other guys, breaking down folks off the dribble. And so they, that's a team that was hit really, really hard. I mean, when you factor in Parker, Kawhi Leonard, Jonathan Simmons, actually, I think was, was someone I think among people like us, we noticed right away, oh, that's a really big hit for them, not having him come. Um, and the idea that, you know, he, those three guys, I, I wrote a story on this before the season combined for something like 70% of the team's drives to the basket last season during the regular season per game and so you take away that kind of production at the beginning of the season I mean it it is incredible that they have the record that they do um like you said a lot of that is just kind of the the sort of things that have been drilled into the everyone on that team and Popovich being the best coach in the league by far but like you said I mean there's still it's still an open question as to how Kawhi and how Parker come back there's going to be rust it's weird to think about rust with you know someone like Kawhi but I mean, the the Spurs are a machine and there's bound to be rust at at a certain point. We haven't really seen it over all these years, but I mean, there's going to be rust there. I'm sure it'll get knocked off by the time the playoffs start. But I mean, we have to see how these guys come back. It's been a long layoff for the two of them. And, I, I mean, I, I I tended to think, you know, I kind of hinted at this in my story about them in the preseason. I, I thought that this was a team in less than 50 games this year. It, it seems like they'll probably be right around there at this rate, but they're going to get back one of the five or six best players in the league. And so it's hard. It's really hard to peg them one way or the other. But the West is fascinating to me because you've got a lot of teams that are there. And really, at this point, the only team, unless Kawhi comes back totally healthy and that the Spurs play as well as they're possibly capable of playing. I really only see one team out West that I would really think could even give them trouble. And, and that's, that's crazy because it's so early, but I mean, the Rockets are the other team, obviously. And I, I just think that Paul, I, I, I really basketball me, wanted to see Chris Paul go to the Spurs because I actually kind of felt like he would give them some of those things that, like I said, they're lacking without Kawhi Leonard and that they're lacking without Tony Parker, someone yeah. that handles the ball uh, someone that can run an offense. Someone that, in some ways, doesn't really disrupt the idea that this is a team that likes to shoot a lot of mid-range jumpers. That kind of has, you know, developed more of an isolation style as Kawhi has become a superstar. A guy that fits into, you know, the the teamwork of what they do defensively and is a very good defender, a very smart player, cerebral player that kind of fits what they do anyway. Uh, I really wanted to see that happen. I actually thought that was going to happen, and then obviously, you know, Chris Paul wanted to go to Houston, so it worked out differently but I I just kind of feel like that would have put, that would have given the Spurs a player that could have almost put them on the level of the Warriors. And even with Chris Paul going to Houston, they've gotten a lot better defensively, but I'm still not sure they're really in the exact same tier either, but I do think they're probably the closest to being on that tier, at least out West. And at this point, like I said, without Gordon Hayward, it's hard for me to say that Boston or whoever else in the East, definitely not Cleveland right now, but that anybody is on that same level as Golden State right now. I think, What you were saying, how many injuries away are you? I tend to think that the Warriors could lose Durant or Curry and still have a a decent shot at winning a title. It would be disruptive to them for a while, but I still think that they would probably have a better team top to bottom than anybody else in the league taking one of those guys away. That's how good they are this year. I'm not sure they could have done that last year, but this year, that's how good they look right now.
1: They did do it without Durant for a few games, but that's entirely different than the whole run. And Absolutely. I, you you bring up a fair point, and I've I heard your argument and, and see the, ver- the validity in it with Chris Paul, but for me as a basketball experimenter and as somebody who likes thinking about some of the unusual but weird big questions in this game, I think the Harden-Chris Paul one is going to answer something that we've— never really seen, at least not in the modern era, which is two incredibly high usage, but very effective and talented players on the court together. Like it's it, This is different than Curry and Durant. To me, this is even somewhat different than LeBron and Dwayne Wade, partially because the age stuff and, and just uh, some the things. That's probably the closest analog in the modern era. I don't know how that's going to work. I, I, you saw moments, especially in the preseason, cause they got, you know, Chris got hurt in game one, where you go, oh my God, nobody's ever going to be able to stop these guys because both of them are very <laughs> smart. Both of them are incredible with the ball in their hands and underrated, I would say, in both cases without it. And, they also built a team, to mori 's immense credit, with players that made sense with that as the foundation and that could work against different opponents. Getting three different guys who they can throw at Kevin Durant. Maybe none of them is Kawhi Leonard, but you're not going to get Kawhi Leonard in free agency, especially not for less than the max. So they did that. And then they have versatility at the big man positions. They have Capella and Ney, who are both more traditional centers, but good in different ways. They have the ability to go small if they want to do that. And so with the Rockets, it's this gigantic experiment. It's just answering questions we've never known. And there's a, something a little bit haunting about the Chris Paul injury. Fortunately, it's early in the season, and we still are going to have a lot of time, hopefully, with these guys, where I hope we get the question answered, you know, like, does this really work? Because he could leave, too, and that's another one of these earthquakes that's possible, but I would say, in his case, less likely. And I want to see them, and then the other big team for me is a takeaway from early in the season is that I don't know what's going on in terms of clutch play. I don't know what's going on in terms of if their offense is ever going to get in balance. But Oklahoma City's defense is for real. It is absolutely for real. They have, yeah. they have wonderful personnel. They have versatility there. Paul George was fantastic defensively against the Nuggets. And Adams knows what he is and when he's healthy. He can be a force at the rim, and he's better on switches than a lot of guys with his build. And so you look at them and you go, even with Mello, even with Russell Westbrook not being that defender like he was originally thought to be, one defensive player of the year in college, they have that. And so I'm sitting there going, well, if we're going to take that as a given, that they, can, that they have this defensive ceiling, like the Sixers have in the long term and, the, and you know other teams, they have the next four months to figure out this offense and what works what doesn't work and that doesn't mean they will because they had similar constraints and had you know that they had some famous infamous huge mistakes in the 2016 western conference finals that never that had been years in the making and they still never fixed it but i feel more comfortable it's kind of actually like the Sixers' idea of all you need to do is get the guards in their case one side of the ball they're okay they just need to figure out the other side
0: No, you're right. It's it's actually funny you say that. I'm probably going to come off as the biggest hypocrite in podcast history. I mean, I I came out and said, I think I tweeted this and immediately had like 8 million people in my mentions. I said that Oklahoma City was the team I liked most to challenge Golden State. Uh, That's probably from like a month ago when the season started. And I want to say it was on either game one or game two of their season. Basically, I said I thought they'd have the best defense in the league. And I think that kind of ran counter to what a lot of people thought. Everybody figured the opposite, that, you know, this team is going to be a nightmare to play against for for opposing defense. Look at all the firepower they have. Really, you look at it, four good offensive players. I would count Steven Adams in that list. I mean, Robertson is someone who can do a couple things. He's a good cutter, but, um, you know, very, you know, well-documented how horrible a shooter is. It's really painful to watch shoot the ball. And you imagine just how much more value he would have if he could shoot, especially in an offense like that. But a team that, you know, is going to figure it out offensively. You've got to kind of figure out how to get away from the your turn and my turn sort of thing that I think is plaguing that team right now. Um, You know, just it's kind of jarring to go from last year to this year, watching Russell Westbrook basically dominate the offense as much as he did to now... Kind of taking such a step back in terms of you know basically looking as if he is going out of his way to really facilitate offense for other guys or to take his foot off the pedal, which has never been what Russell Westbrook is or who, you know who he plays like in the NBA. And so it's been different watching them, and it's it's been odd kind of watching that take place. And as someone that covered Mellow for years, it's been kind of painful watching him basically kind of resort to the same sort of offense that he played in New York even though he's got such good facilitators on this team and such guys to take away the defensive pressure that he saw. You know, I think to the play that he had what should have been a game-winning shot against the Timberwolves, uh, a catch-and-shoot three. You know, we keep talking about the idea of Olympic Mellow. This is probably the best scenario he's ever had to really create that sort of, replicate that sort of play. And the idea that he really hasn't taken advantage of that. And then I don't think offensively they figured out how to take advantage of it as well as they should. But like you said, if they can play defense like this, it's going to give them an opportunity to hang around long enough to make a real push in that conference. I mean, I think some of this has been a little bit spooky that they they ever got to a point where they lost their first six games and the conference to begin with. But, I mean, I've looked at stuff statistically before where you look at teams that are top 10 in the league defensively. And, again, Oklahoma City, I think, at this point, is still top two defensively, right behind Boston. And teams that hang around defensively like that, they tend to make the playoffs at a higher clip than teams that are top 10 offensively because defense is more consistent from night to night. And it kind of helps your chances Long term, they're going to be in more games long term if they're able to hold teams like that defensively. You're not going to worry too much about it. You know, if they can be an average offense or slightly above average offense with just Russell Westbrook. There's no way that they're going to continue to struggle offensively with Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. I, you know, if if it takes doing this, then maybe at some point you do try to bring one of those guys off the bench. I don't see that happening. I see them as being a, a really far way away from that, uh, and it definitely will not be Paul George coming off the bench with him being in a free agency year. Uh, so, you know, th- but they'll figure it out. I mean, something will will happen where, where they'll figure it out and they'll get more comfortable playing together. But like you said. They, that is a team that could be a contender. I mean, I I think that Minnesota will be interesting. I don't see them as being the team to challenge the Warriors this year, but I mean, it's an interesting conference. I kind of wish it was a little bit more balanced out because I actually think that all those teams would have a really good chance at winning the East this year. With how Cleveland has looked, that's still a little early for that, since Isaiah Thomas isn't back. But Oklahoma City definitely could be in that conversation. They'll they'll flip the switch at some point offensively once they start to gel a little bit more. They've got it figured out on defense. It looks like already.
1: Just go to, a, for this year and maybe next year, just go to a top 16 format, but give the Warriors a bye to the finals. So it's basically just, you know, it's, it's you're <laughs> building building all the way to the big boss at the end of the game. And Chris and I will be back to the conversation in just a second, but I want to tell you all about my bookie. Believe it or not, the holidays are just around the corner, and that means plenty of fun and parties, and everything else like that, but it also means a lot of high-quality sporting events, whether you're focused on the NBA or really anything else, and where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on, and so you have to choose the right place, and mybookie.ag is an absolutely wonderful place for that, and part of it is that they have odds on every matchup, they have a great mobile site, but also they offer super fast payouts when you win. And of course, that is a very important part of this process. So the way that their offer works for Real GM is that you go to mybookie.ag and then you use your promo code real GM and that activates their offer and what their offer is is that they will match your deposit with up to a 50 percent bonus so you get to put in money and then the, you get more to work with which is pretty awesome and as I said there's a lot going on whether it's basketball or for those of you football I mean we're even it feels like it's a long way up we're actually not that far from bowl season for those of you who are interested in that and so you can play the money line you can play side bets you can do total and whatever you really want to go with you can do that at my bookie so so again, it's mybookie.ag, myb e.ag, and then the promo code is Real GM, realgm, r e a l g m. You play, you win, you get paid at mybookie.ag. And now back to the conversation with Mr. Chris Herring. With OKC, I think the solution there, and Donovan's gotten close to this, is to not have Mello come off the bench because that's so complicated, but have him be your second unit linchpin. And they've done that at moments. They went away from it weirdly in the Denver game, partially because Paul George was a little bit off early and I think they wanted to keep him happy and just say, hey, you're going to get a bunch of touches because you're going to be that guy. Yeah, Nick's Mello as the second unit guy actually works pretty well relative to some of the stuff that OKC threw out last year. And I think they can use that, and then also that allows them to throw out some more compelling defensive lineups. But you still want to play in plenty of minutes. You can still make that work, and it's it's just a hard balance to strike. Donovan will have to do it, but I think that he can. And also they need to figure out what they have in Patrick Patterson. He really started out the year rough. He was dealing with those knee issues, which are, which are probably why he uh, why he started the year. You know why he got so little money in free agency and started the year slow. But he's a part of their ceiling too because he can stretch the floor. He can defend multiple positions. Depending on the opponent, they might actually use him as the closing center, which would be fascinating just in terms of what that opens up for Russ and everybody else because it takes a defender out of the paint. And so I think Oklahoma City has that ceiling, and that's why we're going to talk about them. And then the other point with that you talked about in terms of regular season is defense travels. So Oklahoma City, if they can have those games where the other team just can't make a shot, then they can win some games that they wouldn't normally. And the the hallmark for this, and I don't think OKC is ever going to get this extreme, was what Memphis used to do. You know, Memphis would win a bunch of games close and then they would lose some really bad ones. And I think Oklahoma City is structured a little differently, but they can handle that sort of thing. And, and the clutch stuff is going to get better also. I mean, it's crazy that they have the league's second best defense, but I believe because they haven't played them any crunch time minutes that they have like the league's worst clutch defense.
0: I saw a stat. I can't remember exactly what it was at this point. Was it something that they had only had three assists
1: so far? Three. Like they have three they have, three. they have three assisted clutch baskets as of when we're recording this on Sunday. And I don't think they're going to have clutch time against the Mavericks in Sunday night's game. If they do, they're in real trouble. But <laughs> but yeah, they Ben Goliver had that. They have they've had three assisted baskets in crunch time through a little less than a month.
0: Yeah, and that's like in a pretty big, not big sample size, but that's in a pretty healthy amount of minutes. Yeah, it's not like
1: like when the Raptors, for a while, the Raptors were at seven minutes of crunch time in the season, and four (laughs) of those seven minutes were against the Warriors. So that was was a different sample. This is, yeah, it's a lot more. And Oklahoma City, like, I think those are much smaller, they're big problems, but I think they're much more manageable than some of the stuff that the other teams are dealing with. And we talked about in the East, the idea of, you know, kind of which teams are going to be rising and the idea of lebron and we don't know what's going to happen there and i mean i have my own theory but i want to see also what of these other kind of teams in the west you brought up minnesota i think they're a great example this teams that have high ceilings what do we see from them to to change our calibrations on that you know towns's defense has been disappointing to start this year to be sure i still don't like the fit of that team but they have so much talent and they don't have that many guys on terrible contracts. So maybe they can reshuffle it a little bit. Maybe they can make it work. And so with teams like them, like Denver, who has to figure all this out because they had so many adjustments, who of that group looks like they're going to be for real? And we're not going to know that now. I think we'll have a much better idea in probably February or March. But you want to keep tabs on those teams to get a sense of where they are, because that's how you learn where they're going.
0: Exactly. That's that's the thing. I mean, every one of those teams, for the most part, I mean, literally every team we discussed, with the exception of the Spurs, who have been undergoing their own change just by the notion that they lost so much through injuries. But basically, every team, Houston, obviously, is going to go through a lot of changes with Chris Paul and figuring that out. And I feel like that process has been delayed even further because of his injury. Obviously, Minnesota with Jimmy Butler, Zach Lowe put out that statistic about how Butler was actually fifth or sixth in usage um, and was clearly, you know, similar to what we were just talking about with Russell Westbrook, trying to take a step back to let other guys kind of find their role with him and, and him kind of trying to focus more on the defensive end And now kind of saying, all right, I'm done doing that. Now I'm going to try to assert myself offensively and kind of take over the game. He had a horrible shot where they basically ran out the shot clock and Butler ended up taking like a 30-foot shot a night or two ago as the shot clock was running out. And so there's still growing pains there for sure. And like you said, their defense at a certain point, you know, when does the Thibodeau defense really shine through given all the talent and athleticism they have on a team like that? When do they figure it out? They're still very young, but you've got them and you've got Denver, like you said, all these changes and Millsap getting comfortable and, and Jokic looking like he's playing defense a little bit differently this year, a little bit better this year and all the talent you've got there. The team that I really wish, you know, that I look at and I'm like, man, I really wish they'd found a way. to to keep Hayward there. Uh, I mean, obviously it's hurt now anyway, but the jazz probably the team I would have picked, you know, if they'd stayed together this year, they had some question marks with aging and some of the guys, they were getting so much late game production from someone like Joe Johnson. And that obviously was going to fall off at some point. Anyway, Hayward was going to have to take more of a step offensively for anything to happen there. But Gobert was young. The team's defense was really, really solid. And it was a team that kind of, you know, up until the Hayward situation, ha- you know, had the lowest payroll in the league and, were, you know, had some money to to play with. And so it, it, it's it's interesting trying to figure out who's going to take that step because they're all unfinished products at this point. And that, that even in the East now, with Cleveland, you know, the idea that we still have to see what Isaiah Thomas brings and what he has uh, after coming off his injury. And so there's it, it's a wide open league behind golden state i feel like golden state is the one thing you know for sure kind of feels like alabama and football most years where you know you know they're going to be there but who else kind of fills in beneath them and can any of those teams challenge them uh last year we saw somebody could challenge alabama and actually beat them is there a version of that team this year i don't tend to think that there's a team that's going to beat golden state but the conversation about who's even going to challenge them or get the opportunity to play them. It's fascinating this year as it's been in any year.
1: I'm, haunted by the jazz i mean that team looked like they had the makings of it and i understand you know why hayward left he thought boston had a higher ceiling maybe he was more comfortable there you know he did write a player's tribune piece explaining it but there's still you know there's always other stuff that could be involved in it and the jazz you know now go bears out for four to six weeks so now we might be without it again and they've been just such a, a, a an impressive story in terms of you know the guys improving off of their expectations And that's such an important part of this. We always think about the guys who are really talented, who come into the league, and that's certainly there. But everybody, whether you are a justified number one pick like Anthony Davis or you are in the late first round like Jimmy Butler or second rounder like Draymond Green, has to improve a lot. And what I want to give the Jazz credit for is that... In those early days, they did a massive job of player development. You know, Hayward, Gobert are are close to what I would expect to be a reasonable best case scenario for those guys. And they deserve credit for that, of course, too. It's coaching. It's it's the players themselves and everything else like that. And so you hope that those circumstances are – everything's going to come together and that that it's – you know, that they're going to – that they fit and that they're going to do that. And if it doesn't fit, then they can find somebody else to make it work. But – They just never got that chance. They never, you know, the the puzzle pieces never were put together at the right time. They, I thought they did a nice job. Their front offices, Dennis Lindsay's been underappreciated. I would say in this way, like they got George Hill. He was a wonderful fit for what they're doing, but he couldn't stay healthy, which was actually the reason they were able to get him. But you have that and then they get Rubio and nope, Gordon Hayward leaves. And so it's, it's unfortunate because you always want to see that. And they're not at the level of, I think about what Oklahoma City could have been, at least once a week. It's just something that bothers me a lot, especially because I covered those teams. I covered the Harden-Westbrook-Durant teams, and I knew, like, I, I saw what they, you know, it like, was in the locker room and how much those guys cared about each other. And I don't know why I end up fixating in some ways more on those teams than the teams that actually do put it together. But what might have been is in some ways a more pressing, it's not a more pressing question. It's In some ways, it's a more permanent question because you know you're oh, never yeah. going to get the answer.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, I I, I was really jealous of Zach last year. He wrote a piece on the Pacers and kind of how it all went wrong with them. And I mean, you know, we're, we're focusing mostly on the last five, six years of the NBA. But I mean, that team dissolved so quickly when really when you think about all those guys were young, with the exception of maybe David West, who clearly still has good basketball left. And so... You know, it's kind of fascinating to look at stuff like that, but especially the Jazz. I mean, I think about their fan base more than anything because I, I just look at a situation where it's like this organization for the most part has done everything right from a developmental standpoint. Quinn Snyder is easily, I'm always most impressed by him when I talk to him about details of of, of why something happens the way it does or You know, asking him to kind of replay a a certain play in his mind of why it broke down or why it happened the way he did. When I travel around the league, he's incredibly sharp. He's one of the smartest coaches in the league, I think. And that team is ready to play. I mean, defensively, they're very, very sharp Uh, from a developmental standpoint, kind of looking at what Gobert has become, looking at the improvements Gordon Hayward made. You look at the George Hill trade. I mean, George Hill was, I actually wrote this at one point last year that. No way he was going to win MVP, but in terms of value to his team, Night in, night out basis, and the difference between when this guy's out there, and when this guy isn't. I think Embiid probably took the cake there, you know. And Curry obviously is in the conversation every year. So is Chris Paul. But in terms of guys that it, it just was readily apparent that they're like this is barely a good team without this guy on the floor. Hill was at the top of that list last year, at least for the beginning of the year when he was dealing with the injuries at first. And so I thought he was a great fit there. I think most of the really smart minds in NBA kind of knew that immediately that that would make them or Keep them a top five defense when he was in the lineup, and now they went and got Rubio, who's someone that fits that bill as well. And like you said, you lose Gobert, and so it's it's really tough to watch that because that's a team that really, through no fault of their own, lost Hayward before that lost Darren Williams, and it's kind of like they keep You know, I, I think the market is really difficult. Now, the one thing I noticed about the teams that you were mentioning there, I brought up Indiana, but obviously Utah, Oklahoma City. These are smaller markets. I mean, it's not something that we have to gloss over. I think it's very clear. It's really hard for small market teams to keep these guys wanting to play there. And I think that's why people got so excited a couple, was it a week and a half, two weeks ago, where Giannis said basically that, you know, why would I want to go to a place like Miami or, you know, LA or New York or something like that? I want to play here. I want to be here. I like, you know, I can visit those places, but I like living here. And the reason that people get so excited about hearing that, especially in that market is because... They know what it's like to lose players, good players, because, you know, the, you know, the, all the jokes that are made about Cleveland and all the jokes that Noah said about Cleveland. I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, you think about places that you like to go visit, Cleveland and Milwaukee don't come up. Uh, and that's just for the average person let alone someone that has to live there and really doesn't have a choice as to where they are when they get drafted. And so I think Hayward and even before that, Darren Williams, I mean, it's a very real thing that, hell, I remember last year talking to Jeff Teague and I I suggested this during a podcast last year. I worked on a piece about guys signing with their hometown teams and, you know, on the one side of it, obviously the joy that comes with going back home and being able to play in front of family and friends But also the frustrations that come along with it because of them not being able to really tell their friends and family no when they ask for tickets and the thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars it cost these guys to do that and to basically kind of bankroll their friends to come to the game, Jeff Teague, like I, for most people, it was kind of like a, a pretty lighthearted, fun conversation. Uh, me and Dwayne Wade laughed about it. Me and Derek Rose talked about some elements of it. I remember Jeff Teague, like his whole demeanor changing <laughs> when we when we talked about the idea of him going back to Indiana uh, and playing there and just how stressful it was every day. To know that basically he was like, if anyone's ever watched that Cosby episode at the end where Theo graduates and Cosby keeps asking Theo to go get an extra five or 10 tickets for all the people that he wants to bring to the graduation. And Theo only gets nine or 10 tickets total and has to keep going out and getting more. That's basically what Jeff Teague described in the like. And so, you know, the idea of, yes, like we all think of these cities as being so great. But I mean, there are things that for one reason or another, and some of us might know, some of us might not. To each person, there are stresses that come along with living somewhere, and there's always kind of that is the grass greener somewhere else. And so I, I could have told you last year I hinted at it in the podcast Jeff Teague wanted out of Indiana very clearly, and it came across like in his demeanor in the conversation. I mean, I even in the store, if you just read the quotes, like you could tell he didn't like playing there. And so that that just happens. Like, and it, it sucks because Jazz fans are great. I think they're passionate. I think they deserve a winner. Uh, they pretty consistently go out there, like the Pacers actually, and they don't really tank. They they go for it every year. They normally, you know, not the last few years, but before that had been in the playoffs for years and years and years for the most part. I mean, the fans deserve to have a star that just wants to play there, but you can't make somebody stay somewhere that they don't want to be. And so it's it's rough. It's really rough. And I think that's probably why you focus on. Some of those teams, too, that kind of have an opportunity and then lose it because, you know, we see what happens with the teams that win. It's always going to be a what if with the teams that don't.
1: It's also so hard. You talked about the fan base because... It is a deeper rejection in many ways than if it was just on basketball purposes, because it's like, hey, I'm living here. Sometimes it's by choice. Sometimes it's not. It really does depend. And that's a part of why they're leaving. And I, I can imagine why that's really, really hard to take. I happen to live somewhere where that does happen, but not not as often. So it's, it's a very different visceral thing. And for a lot of fans, this is a little bit different in Salt Lake than it is in Cleveland or in Milwaukee or Detroit is it happens in multiple sports too so if you're somebody who invests in this you know that there's a very real chance that the players that you have grown to to love and to to really have an affection for could be gone and it's hard but at the certain point you you have sympathy but the sympathy doesn't really go anywhere other than being sympathy because our job is to predict where things are going and you have to kind of incorporate that to a point when you're thinking about where the league is headed.
0: Yeah, it's very tough. I mean, I I kind of always chuckle at this just a little bit with regards to, we even referenced it in my story that I did just this week about Philly, about the future rankings that ESPN does every year. And it's like, well, how on earth are we supposed to really know? I mean, I don't begrudge anyone who writes it or or anything like that. I don't, you know, I'm not to talk down on any of that, but it's like, we only know so much about what's going to happen, what could happen, injuries that might happen. But I mean, yeah, you obviously take a lot of stock in the idea of like how good one team's ownership is versus another. And the idea that a team that has good ownership and stable front office management is more likely to get things right and possibly to have things work out better than teams that don't for any given reason. But I mean, every now and then a team with really horrible uh, ownership is going to kind of just luck out as well. And so the way that we've seen Porzingis playing and, and and the idea that, that even the Bucks, you know, a team that theoretically never should have been able to draft someone of Giannis's stature, the idea that being in the middle of the draft they said, Well hell, we'll just kind of shoot for the stars here. And you know, if we land this guy and we get somebody who can develop with this sort of frame that he could become a superstar and the idea that this played out that way. And so, I mean, even these teams that really have either been right in the middle for a long time or have been just dysfunctional for a long time. I mean, those are the two leading scores in the NBA right now. So stuff is is bound to work out a certain way for everybody after a certain amount of time. You know, that's one thing I always thought was really interesting about covering the Knicks is that some of the beat writers thought that I was overly optimistic and that, you know, that the pessimism hadn't really been beaten into me yet. I wasn't on the beat long enough for that to happen. And I was like, well, you do know at some point something's going to change, whether it's Dolan or whether it's just that, you know, that they find someone that is stable enough from a front office standpoint to just figure it out and do something different, that for some reason or another, you know, the Knicks will not always be horrible. The Kings will not always be horrible. And, you know, it's interesting to think about it that way, but it's the truth, nothing ever stays exactly the same way forever when it's going on on a year by year basis and obviously you know the knicks have been really fun to watch for that reason but i mean think about how much stuff changed there uh, the guy running the organization changed the guy that was you know the forefront of everything that they did offensively changed the point guard who you know brought so much controversy in just the six or seven months that he was playing for them he changed and Now, all of a sudden, you've built everything around a 22-year-old who has shown promise for two years now, who's also gotten a lot stronger, who, you know, I wrote this right at the beginning of his career, still adjusting to a three-point line that was a lot different than the one that he played with over in Europe. And, you know, all of a sudden is getting more shots, all of a sudden has kind of decreased his foul rate and been able to stay on the court a little bit more. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make, I won't go as far as it makes sense the way he's playing, but I mean, I've seen crazier things happen. I mean, it's still pretty jarring to see him do it at this level. But, I mean, when you change that many things and all of a sudden you kind of lift a burden that is there of someone that's fed up with, you know, someone in the front office that is kind of critiquing the, the, you know, one of the best players you have there and have had there for years. And you remove that burden and you remove the burden of, like, guys taking shots out of the best players' hands, basically yeah stuff like that can happen it's rare that it happens but it can happen and it gives a better opportunity for stuff like that to happen when you start putting the right moves in place
1: and the hope is that you know over time that it'll work out for various teams and you never know and that's part of the fun of this is just kind of where it drops in and another thing like that that i'm wondering is how lottery reform is going to kick in with that because i think what one of the elements we're going to see is teams that are a little bit better getting high-end players and there was a reason the league moved away from that and that specific was the Magic drafting Shaq and then getting the pick that ended up becoming Chris Webber, but they traded Penny. it for Penny Hardaway. Yeah. And... Yep that you know that scared teams away from doing it but for a brief time you know unless and until they realize that's a mistake we could see some talent shifts that might end up mattering in terms of the arc of the league probably not for another like five years or so but that's the way this goes
0: yeah i i have no idea how that's going to play out but i mean that is a really interesting notion to think that you know the better team can start getting more of this talent so that you can't basically so that you can't readily do what Philly was trying to do. And <laughs> it is funny that, you know, it's going it, to, it probably will work out in the end for Philly because of the way that all this stuff has happened. But the idea that we might not ever see again, exactly what we just saw with this team uh, with with Philly and what they did and how the depths to which they took this strategy. And so <laughs> Sam Hinkie is going to end up leaving one hell of a legacy. You know, I hope he gets hired somewhere else. And and to the the question of what we were saying about Brett Brown and kind of how he and and Jason and these other guys adjust to the idea of taking over uh, or, or, you know, going from a team that was losing to now a winning team, that has a star or a superstar on it. Uh, I would have loved Sam Vinkie, you know, to have seen all the criticism he took. And I think to some extent, rightly so, at least he had a strategy in mind. It would have been fascinating to have seen how he transitioned from here's how we bottom out to now here's how we put this together in a way that we, you know, it's still very difficult to build an NBA champion, even if you've got a star or two, you know, that's why I will never really dismerge Phil Jackson or anything like that in terms of winning those titles. Yes, he had, so much talent maybe more than any other team had but we've seen a lot of teams have a ton of talent and guys not get along coaches not figuring out how to make guys get along we just talked about oklahoma city and not really knowing yet if they're going to find a way to make those three players on the court fit well in terms of role there's all sorts of stuff that goes it. even the bulls had trouble with that i, I read smith's books on the bulls all the time the jordan roles and everything else michael jordan didn't want to accept those roles we look at scotty pippen leaving the court and, you know, sitting on the bench during a play where Tony Kukoc was getting the last shot and Coach making the shot anyway and making Scotty look foolish. But, like, there's all sorts of different things, contracts that go into it, injuries that go into it. Like, it, it's just, you know, that's the part of me that, even though I keep saying so firmly, Golden State's going to win, Golden State's going to win, I mean, there's a reason we still watch it. There's still a reason that you and I report on this stuff, because on some level, you still never really know what's going to happen. I tend to think that it's more secondary in terms of not knowing, because I do think Golden State will win. But all that stuff, it's not academic. It actually matters. It matters in terms of drawing one player to another team in free agency. It all matters at some point. So it'll be interesting. It's been a fascinating season so far. I'm kind of interested to see how it plays out and how it continues.
1: Before we move on, I want to tell you a little bit about DraftKings. DraftKings is a great way for those of you who are dedicated and passionate about the sport of NBA basketball in particular to express that in a way that you can have some fun and make some money. And DraftKings does it in a few cool different ways. So one thing is that if you're new to this, like I have been this year, you can do beginner and casual contests. So those are not the the more experienced DFS players. You can get into it there and a more favorable environment. You can try it out, and hopefully you like it as much as I have. And you can also choose between public contests, which have big cash prizes, or private contests where you can compete against your friends. So you can really go in whatever feel you want. And something that I really like about daily fantasy, as opposed to year long, which I've done in a variety of sports for a long time until this year, actually, is that you don't have to worry about who gets hurt or what draft picks were available to you or anything like that. You get an amount of, fake money, you know, you get it and everybody gets the same salary total to work with. And you pick the players that you think are going to be best on that given night. So if you think LeBron James is going to have a huge night, (laughs) the night where he was at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks, you can do that. Maybe you're going to be right. Maybe you're going to be wrong, but you can go in that direction. You don't have to worry about somebody else stealing the person that you want, and then you're without them for the whole year. You can with DraftKings, you can get whoever you want. You can have complete control over it. And it is really cool how you can take a small amount of money and turn into a large amount money this past in this season dan from st louis and jeremy from austin both turned a three dollar entry into a thousand dollars which is fantastic so what you can do is you go to draftkings.com and use the promo code RealGM to play for free with your first deposit for your share of ten thousand dollars in total prizes again that code is RealGM. like this website like this podcast and it's at draftkings.com pick your lineup and you can cash in today Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. The other darkly funny part of a lot of these moves that happen, and you could go back to LeBron going to Miami, Durant to the Warriors, the Sixers thing, is that they make these moves so that there can never, or at least in that way, be another team like them. But that actually makes it easier for that specific team because they're already together. Like we saw this with with the Warriors with designated veteran extensions. You know, they made it a lot yeah. of, less likely for teams to go to free agency. The Warriors already have their guys; they're fine, and so. it's it's just the way it's the way this works out that it again it makes sense i'm not saying it's a bad thing that they you know they're trying to do this i have certain oppositions to certain elements of what they do but it is that weird thing where it's like you close the door behind you because you did such a you did such a good job of whatever you were doing that nobody else can do it anymore and i i think there's something brilliant and kind of hilarious about that
0: no, you're absolutely right. That was actually, I don't think a ton of people noticed that until really, what, what trade was it right off the bat? Was it was it the Cousins trade or was there one that had happened before that? Obviously, Paul George moving teams too, but like the idea that teams, I don't think they're necessarily running away from the idea of locking these guys up. But first of all, it's a huge amount of money. But also the idea that, you know, these guys, if, if they're already not winning at a really high level, with that player and it's still years away from, you know, you're still years away from being able to put the right sort of team around them. If you get everything right, that's a lot of money to commit, you know, for other guys, the idea of being on a team where you might not be able to really hit the benchmarks that require that, you know, I think Indiana was hoping that Paul George couldn't, Hit those benchmarks because Indiana, I think they're oriented differently, that they want to win, that they don't want to tank, that they really, I don't think Indiana's had a top five pick in something like 20, like 27 years or 24. It, it's something crazy. You'd have to go back and look, but they, They rarely miss the playoffs entirely. And they all very much like the Knicks in in, in some ways that they as bad as the Knicks have been, the Knicks have really the Porzingis pick was the first one that they've had since nineteen eighty six. It was before I was born that they had a top five pick. There are a few teams in the league like that. Again, the Jazz are one of them, really, where these teams really don't ever tank. They're used to making the playoffs. And they've had ownership in place that basically they always want to win, whether or not they're in the luxury tax. And so the designated player extension in particular, that one is just so interesting because like you said, it really does kind of cut off teams at the knees that would even try to attempt what Golden State had done while leaving Golden State kind of untouched. And it's I don't know if it frustrated people, but it definitely was interesting. I think Golden State is gonna have their own questions as to whether or not they keep that team together maybe two years from now. But it, it is something that I over time time I definitely kind of scratched my head so like I don't necessarily think this really hinders Golden State at all if anything it's just going to make teams less likely to catch them anytime soon and that's paying a lot for a team that basically has everybody in their prime right now or will soon
1: It is true and and one thing that they should try to fix and I guess technically speaking they wouldn't have to do this in the CBA itself is I think they need to fix the lecture tax I think it's too punitive right now for smaller market teams where you know teams like the, the Knicks and the Nets will pay it but if the smaller market teams are scared away then we're seeing some great fits get blown apart because of it's not a small amount of money in the scope of like, it is in the scope of things but it, it never looks that small you know to people even people are making a lot of money and so I think they've made it too punitive, but they can figure that out. And my hope is that they do.
0: Oh, I do too. I mean, because you don't want to see teams that are just developing run into that problem. And I yeah. kind of feel like we're already seeing some, I mean... It's, the, wor- it's the worst way for a
1: team to break up. Like the worst way for a team to break up is because they didn't want to spend the money. It, you know, that's even worse in some ways. I mean, other than, you know, let's say like Len Bias or something crazy like that. But, you know, among the r- yeah. realistic ways that teams can break up, you know, the idea of being lecture tax team. Team. Oklahoma City that was a part of it for them I think we've seen Milwaukee already that they've you know lowered their ceiling a little bit just because they can't they're there it looks like they're not going to be a tax team and right. there are uh, all sorts of places and so th- and that is ownership is still to me the biggest competitive advantage in the league and I wish that were not the case but you know, there's always going to be some competitive advantage and it's a little bit weird that it's that.
0: Yeah, no, that's what I was just saying. Minnesota is the team that you look at. And Andrew Wiggins, like I think was it Bobby Marks that had the tweet that basically said with that move to max him out that now between like five players, the money that they have committed all of a sudden is basically already putting them right there at the cap. And it's just like, wow. And, And that's without Towns having signed anything yet for long term which obviously he's going to be a max player, even with the questions about the defense. I, I think with Towns, the frustration a lot of us have is just that we saw the kind of defense he was able to play in college. Now, he was someone that hacked quite a bit and got called for a ton of fouls, but how active he was and kind of how everywhere he was, blocks and even keeping blocks in bounds and making sure that Kentucky got blocked uh and, and went the other way with him, that he, he's capable as a defender. But even short of that, and even with them being so bad defensively as a team right now, it's very clear. anybody's averages 25 and 12 is a 22-year-old or 21-year-old or whatever town is. I mean, he's going to be a max guy. Butler only has, what, one year left after this before he hits free I mean, that's that's going to be an expensive team. You've already got T 19 million a year, whatever it is he's making. I mean, that is going to be a pricey team. And we're talking about a team that hasn't made the playoffs in 13 years. And so that, at this level, just being across the board, uh, Golden State, would be an obvious example. Uh, The Heat were an obvious example of a team that was making finals appearances every year. But yeah, with teams that are are just kind of budding and burgeoning, it it does feel a bit punitive to them. But I don't know. There's got to be better ways. You know, I, I like that the league is probably more so than any other league willing to look into those ways but i don't know how you go about changing it without being too heavy-handed to advantage or disadvantage one team or another
1: they always have unintended consequences that is a big story in the history of the league but i do like that they're trying and that they can move away and they can admit when something doesn't work i think that's a good thing and and you know it's interesting with that in terms of the amnesty provision you know There is an idea that the amnesty provision should happen and that it it opens up more space and everything like that. But I also understand that basically they saw that it was a get out of jail free card and the way that certain teams were gaming that system. And so they went, well, we had this and now we don't. And so even though the players were probably fighting strongly for it because it just opens up more money, you know, they, they made that decision and to be able to go away from something and not say, well, we had this, so we have to keep having it is a good thing.
0: Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> I think I covered one of those teams <laughs> with regards to the, the amnesty provision. I mean, that, and I think it tells you a lot too that <laughs> that people, went, as soon as Joakim Noah started playing poorly, I remember getting questions, can't they amnesty him? Like it was something that they were already so used to and that people were hopeful that they could use that with Amari, the, the Knicks, after they'd already used it to basically get Tyson Chandler and amnesty Chauncey Bills. The Knicks have this thing, I mean, again, it speaks to, Management on some level. I'll give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt with regards to the Chauncey, Tyson, Chandler one. But the idea that they did that with Phillips, who was healthy and was still productive, and that they did it literally shortly after they just signed him back in to come in. I think he was on an option, a team option, and they picked it up right after they'd done that. And then letting him go shortly after they agreed to that option to extend it to go get Tyson Chandler. And then, and not that this matters, this is just money in in Dolan's pocket. So it's not like it made any actual difference with regards to the soccer cap. But then the idea that when they asked Phil, that it was literally like two weeks after they had just picked up his option for the last two years of this contract for like 23, 24 million dollars. And it's just like, man, like I, as an everyday person, I'm just like, man, he just was on the hook to pay him 24 million more just because he agreed to pick up the last two years of his option that he didn't even have to. I mean, nobody and, else. And that he in didn't right deserve. Mind.
1: Like that. That's the craziest right, exactly. part about it. It wasn't like circumstances changed so dramatically where it's like, oh, no. we, we we never we never knew that this was like that. This skeleton was in his closet or something. <laughs> they knew exactly what he was. They picked up the options in full knowledge, and then like a couple weeks later, it's gone. Still, to me, the all timer though is Andre Blatch. Because Andre Blatch got amnestied before his extension kicked in. And that is just, you're, you're probably never going to be able to top that. Yeah. There's so,
0: like, the amnesty clause is fascinating. And I I remember thinking them not including it in this latest CBA was fascinating because you could, like, in your mind, you could kind of look and figure out, who would really benefit from that? And the fact that it wasn't there, it actually is a really big it, difference. It's killing the a Lakers. Lot of, oh, for sure. I mean, the, the Lakers were incredibly interesting for all those years. Obviously, we know who they would have amnestied there, the big albatross contract that they had. And I think they did, they did eventually get out of, right, where he... Said that he was in it for the money, so the insurance helped them a little bit, sure. but it doesn't. It obviously doesn't. It doesn't kick in on the salary cap side, and so Nash, obviously being that guy, but it was a fascinating question. Um, it probably is something that they'll continue to look into in the future when they have the labor conversations. But it's, I mean, it like you said, it it, it was being used as a get out of free card, uh, get out of jail free card. It just uh, maybe my prism is always through the Knicks because that's the only team that I covered full time. But well, they're uh, they're
1: they a great they're a great use of the amnesty. Not not great in terms of positive, but great in terms of for us to talk about it, for sure.
0: <laughs> All, the Knicks are always great to talk about, much to the, the fans chagrin and what have you. But at least, you know, the, the lightest end of the tunnel is that at least they're kind of fun to talk about now instead of just being a joke and a laughing stock, They've been legitimately fun. You know, that, that, that's a team that I think is is long overdue to figure it out, but it becomes a lot easier to figure it out when you've got that much talent in one player at that age.
1: Yeah, and over the last two weeks, I think they've played some of the most fun games, some of the games I've most enjoyed watching in the entire league, and that is not always necessarily related to who's winning, but I, I enjoyed those teams a lot, and I have a lot of affection for those teams. Uh, anything else you feel like, I mean, we could talk for a long time, but anything else you feel like we should discuss that, you know, in this first couple weeks of the season? No, not really. I mean, I, I just I'm, I'm
0: curious to see, we've been doing this this segment with our new podcast at 538, it's called The Lab, where we discuss for about five, six minutes every week, small sample size and what will hold up and what will not. And I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of intrigued by some of that. I've, oh, I've heard you I have one and for you. Nate talk about... Go ahead.
1: The Lakers are sixth in defense.
0: Uh, yeah, that's one that I don't see. <laughs> if I had to guess one, I do not think will hold up. I mean, if for no other reason, and God bless him, because I actually like him personally, and I'm really happy for him, the, the triple-double record that he got the other night. Lonzo, I mean, he gets attacked on defense. I mean, some of the second-spectrum statistics that we have access to at ESPN now, I mean, he literally, they they test him more than pretty much anybody else in the league on drive. And he, I mean, this is one of the things I think a lot of us saw in summer league before. He's really really like for how talented he is and how much advantage he gets from being able to see over the defense a little bit for his height. He's not, and this is part of what we've seen with his field goal percentage so far. He's not really able to get by people the way that, you know, uh, De'Aaron Fox is, or definitely a Simmons or guys like that that just kind of have the athleticism to do it and the quickness to do it. That's not really his game. I mean, he's a really tall point guard, that has really great vision, and a lot of what he does is just kind of slower. His, his shot release, his ability to get into the lane—it's why so much of what he does comes in transition, because then he's already kind of got the defense at a disadvantage and on the move. And so that you know, it's interesting there. But defensively, I remember watching some of the summer league games with my coworker Kyle Wagner, and we both kind of looking at each other, saying like, "He he seems." a little slow footed to be touted the way he is. It doesn't mean he's not going to be good. I think we've already seen flashes of the fact that he'll probably be fine, even with these really horrendous numbers. And, you know, and the fact that the Lakers really being uh, the, the ball moving a little bit better when he's in the game, but, but yeah, I don't see them holding up as a top six defense. They've got too many guys on that roster that don't quite fit that sort of it just doesn't really seem like something that will stick to me. So that, that being your example of a, a small sample size, I think I agree with you on that one. Right? Um, and- they're also really young to have a defense that good. That normally doesn't happen either. Where teams that young play defense that solidly for the whole season.
1: Opponents are also shooting 31% from three on them, and that generally does not persist. You know, that one thing to look at early in a season is like, or look at things that have a lot of variance and that opponents, that a team cannot control. So opponent three per shooting is a great one of these. Also in certain circumstances, opponent free throw percentage, because that's obviously something they don't control at all. Sometimes though, the, the frequency there can be a little bit closer depending on foul rate. But so like the Lakers and Boston is actually in this group as well. Like these teams, and Orlando was part of what's made them come Orlando's the biggest one yeah because Orlando has it on both sides they were like the number two three-point shooting team in the league at the beginning of the year and their opponents were missing all of them so you look at those sorts of things and you go okay that's not that's probably not going to continue especially because it's not broadly speaking something that a defense can handle it's more luck and so you generally assume that luck is going to go back the other way the other crazy one like that on the other side is Cleveland was giving up like I think it was like 52 percent on corner threes earlier in the year. I think that's toned down a little bit. <laughs> but like, you see those sorts of things and you go, okay, that doesn't mean the team that's struggling is good or that a team that is good is bad, but it's something that should weigh into the analysis.
0: I think the worst thing about that Cleveland stat you just cited is the fact that I kind of trust LA's defense to stay top ten <laughs> more than I think the Cleveland's corner three defense will really improve. I mean, I'm joking to some extent, but the thing is, Cleveland is man, like they're they're really really bad on defense. Yeah, I mean, those, I mean
1: the shots they're giving up are unbelievable. It's not it's not like oh they're, the teams are making yeah. all these difficult shots. They're they're missing. like, no. they, could, they could make a sandwich in the time it takes for for the defense to get out to them. Like it's uh, a challenge, and that's uh, Cleveland. Like I talked about this a little bit with Matt Moore on last week's podcast, the reason they lost the finals last year was not their offense it was their defense oh and, no they and,
0: scored 113 or more I think every single game in the finals it was never the defense but that's that's the problem is that I didn't think their defense got fundamentally stronger I mean they added Crowder obviously and he's he's a, a good defender uh, I don't think he's a great defender the way that a lot of people kind of suggest that he is but he's versatile but the idea of adding Thomas and, and he hasn't even played yet but the idea of Rose before Thomas and then Thomas being there, Tristan being out. And someone tweeted yesterday a picture. Shump was trying to guard the point guard position and got blown by. And LeBron literally had his hands on his hips. LeBron was the closest help defender and literally had his hands on his hips before the player even made his break to the basket. LeBron didn't help. And by the time the play finished, LeBron still had his hands on his hips as the guy was dunking. And it's just like, this just doesn't look right. And, um, Like you said, there's a lot of variance in three point shooting, but Cleveland, that's just a team where I don't know if it's effort. uh, You know, I I know they can turn it on, but the team that turned it on was different. I mean, it's not to say I don't trust them, I'm going to trust LeBron. Uh, At this point, I think between him and to some extent, the Spurs, I kind of trust them until they show me that I shouldn't trust them anymore. I've kind of bet against them too many times just in terms of thinking that this would be it or that, you know, that there's reason to think this might be it. Last year was the first year I really thought that where their numbers in the second half of the season defensively were so bad. I mean, Cleveland, to this point, as of like two or three days ago, I haven't checked recently, they had the worst defense in NBA history. Uh, in terms of defensive efficiency. On basketball reference, they were a half point worse per 100 possessions than any other team in history. I, I assume that's probably changed a little bit since they've won the last couple games and I think been a little bit more respectable on defense. But, I mean, some of this is to be expected. Some of it is probably just not caring. Some of it is Tristan not being there and then really not having a whole lot of good rim protectors or really any outside of Tristan. But, I mean, it, it puts so much strain on them to be that bad on defense, but also because they're that bad on defense, to ask to ask LeBron to do that much more on offense when they don't really have a healthy point guard. When Amon Shumpert is their point guard, that's essentially LeBron being their point guard. And so asking him to do that much on offense, you know, it's just it's just asking a lot in a season where you know you're gonna need him to be healthy and good down the stretch. It's just a lot. And uh I really don't love this Cleveland team. I mean there were some things I saw up front that were problematic. I already thought Wade was a bad choice. at starting two guard and it literally took what, like five games, six games for them to make that switch. JR looks better now, but there's still a, a slew of problems with that team defensively. And, um, you know, you, you figure they'll, they'll, they'll get it right at some point, but it might take a while. And it may take until Tristan comes back from injury.
1: LeBron is four months older than I am. I get this entirely, completely. Like, you know, you just sit there, it's the regular season, you know you're going to be, you'll be better when it gets to the playoffs. Just be like, let the let the young guys play with us for now. We'll make it in, we'll be fine. If that persists in April, I'll be a little bit concerned. But before then, as long as they get in, I'm not concerned about that, as long as we're not talking about them as being like a serious contender for the title. Because you have to be good at least at least non-exploitable on both ends in order to be a real contender there and that part we'll have to see when the going actually gets tough and that's still a long way from now so i'm not worried about the Cavs except for that caveat
0: yeah i mean that's the, the only thing the reason i worry about them is it, it speaks more to a long-term question if and again it kind of goes back to what you know i talking about earlier if you think the Cavs are a real candidate to lose lebron and if so where does he go if they're not if they don't make the finals this year, I don't see unless they do something crazy in the offseason, I don't see how they keep LeBron. I, I just think it, it kind of turns into a situation like with what you had with Miami the first time. They actually did make the finals that year, but they got blasted in five games by this bird. Uh, he left. A lot of people have done I, I remember waking up and, you know, a few minutes into me waking up seeing that he'd left. I was like, whoa, did not see that coming. We initially all thought that the three of them were opting out to take less money, so they could go get a fourth guy. But if they don't make the final somehow, let's say Cle- Cleveland loses to Boston, one of the other teams, whether it's Washington or Milwaukee, kind of rises up and takes them out. If that happens, I, I think it becomes like much more likely that LeBron leaves. And if if this is a team that doesn't figure it out, that doesn't figure out how to flip a switch, or you know that they're just rusty, you know, figure Isaiah Thomas will still be getting used. To playing with LeBron, that's assuming that he stays healthy after a pretty serious injury that took this long to to straighten out in the first place, assuming that Tristan is fine once he gets back and there's no more injuries there. Um, It's just, I don't know, it's just very difficult, like you said, to flip a switch on and off. And I mean, I guess from this point, it'd be off to on. To go from exploitable to not exploitable, playing the Warriors in particular, I just, I don't know, like you said, we're too far away from it at this point, but they they only took one game last year. This team is probably worse than last year's team, and the Warriors look—I mean, the Warriors look like they're doing whatever they want for the most part when they want to. If they were to sweep the Cavs at that point, I just don't know if—if if it's enough incentive for LeBron to say, "Let's go for it again." I'll just sign here again. I, I don't know where he would go either, and I guess that's probably an important point of this question. But it, it just becomes really tough to see how. If you're not making progress towards the Warriors, then why do you stay? Uh, Maybe it's just he stays because it's Cleveland and that's where he's from, but I don't know. You're you're playing with fire there. I I get that neither one of us is totally concerned about them, but if the team's not improving and there's not a really clear way to do that without using that pick and trading it somewhere, it it does become a little bit concerning because you don't want to stagnate with the best player in the world on your team with him Mm -hmm. being able to leave this summer.
1: That's totally fair. And I'm going to let that be the last word. We'll have a lot of time to to talk about that and to think about it, but it is certainly a lens that we can use to look at this season. And it's part of what I'm going to be watching with the Cavs. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, no problem at all, man. Thanks for having me as always. Thanks again to Chris Herring for taking the time to come on. You can read him at 538.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at Herring underscore NBA, H-E-R-R-I-N-G underscore NBA. It was great talking with him and we went into so many different topics so seamlessly that I've I, I just love those kind of conversations and the way that we kind of got into got into some stuff that you know sometimes we don't always talk about as openly as we do about the teams that are frustrating and the teams that sometimes get get us and we both do fixate just like so many other people both writers and fans do especially when you cover the whole league you get to a sense of where these teams are and where these teams are going so i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did still gonna have episode next week holiday. I know a lot of people actually like to have podcasts for that time because people are doing driving and flying and all that to see family members. I Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. So we'll have an episode out for that. I do not yet know the guest, but even if I did know it, I, I wouldn't say it. That's just my old superstition thing. I don't say it until it's, li- until it's actually recorded because you never know what can happen. So there are a lot of different ways that you can support this show and really any other podcast that you like. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast wherever you're choosing. In the interest of full disclosure, it's great if it's iTunes, but it absolutely does not have to be. You can also subscribe, download every episode. Those are absolutely huge things you can do. And for a show like Real GM Radio, which doesn't always come out on a reliable day, that's Huge. And you can also spread the word however you see fit, word of mouth, internet, whatever makes you happy. And you can also check out our sponsors. So for this one, that's Action Heat, heated clothing, fantastic. Action Heat.com, slash Real GM, 15% off. MyBookie.ag, Real GM promo code gives you a deposit bonus of up to 50%. And DraftKings, DraftKings.com. And then you use the Real GM promo code to get entry into some fantastic contests. It's a great way to get into DFS or to, you know, stay into it. You can also support me in my other stuff that's going on. Of course, the Dunked On Basketball Podcast, which I do with Nate Duncan. We release episodes, you know, most of you already know that. We release episodes Monday through Friday, if you want to call it that. And we'll be doing the Twitter NBA show on Thursday for Warriors, Celtics, and possibly some of Rocket Suns, depending on how we feel. Also, I'm going to be doing more promotion for my book. I'm doing a signing in Alameda on Wednesday, the 15th. I'm doing radio spots, doing actually going to be doing maybe some TV, which is pretty cool. And you can buy the book, 100 Things Warriors Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. However you see fit, there is a Kindle version. You can buy it. I I, I support local bookstores if you want to get a print version of it. And then you can go to Triumph Books, my publisher, and you can get PDF ebook versions. You can check it out there. And my writing is at The Athletic, Real GM, Sporting News for the most part. I wrote a piece on Robert Covington last week, and that extension could be done by the time many of you listen to this. We'll have to see how long it takes to get announced, if it's actually done, all that sort of stuff. If you have any feedback on the show, Good, bad, or indifferent, Danny Larue NBA at gmail.com at DanielRue on Twitter. Email is way better. I don't know why I still say Twitter, but I do. And if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is my promise. I might not respond because, or I might respond like weeks late. It's just how it is. But I read it right up the bat. It's just my timing is very busy even this year when I'm not writing a book. But I do care. It really does matter to me. So I I read everything that comes through there. And I appreciate it. And so if you spread the word, do whatever makes you happy and check out our sponsors. You can also check out CLNS Media. They are my partner for this show. And they're doing some really cool stuff. Stuff there, so you can definitely check CLNS Media out. So, thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. surface pro 8 has the power of a laptop and the versatility of a tablet all in one this thin and adaptable device has a touchscreen and a newly designed signature keyboard that can even store your surface pen surface pro 8 is microsoft's most powerful pro yet show the world how you stand
0: out with surface pro 8 check it out at surface.com slash pro 8 if you're struggling with alcohol or drugs recovery centers of america can help The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY now. At our fully accredited World Class Treatment Center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let
1: us help you.